I was up at a cabin when I was um, hanging out with my wife and the kids, and we'd been kind of keeping off television. So as we were about to head home, we want to check out what was going on. And up on our live feed of one of the uh, websites that we enjoy was actually Ravi Zacharias's funeral. It was an incredible moment where we got to see some of the great highlights of his ministry career, hear people give testimony about his life and who he was and the things that he led people in, into Christ with. Just this incredible, incredible amount of teaching and insight. And yet, it was shortly after only a couple weeks, actually, that things began to leak out, that there were uh, ind major indiscretions, not just indiscretions, but outright um, abuse and horrible things that he had done towards women all over the world. And as those things began to compile and the ministry began to dissolve, it began to cause a major angst amongst a lot of Christian leaders and a lot of churches and a lot of places. We were looking at it going, what in the world is going on? This is so revolting and so horrible. What was actually happening here? Because to be quite honest, his ministry was a lot like this apple. And we look at this apple, what you're going to see is that it looks really nice and shiny on the outside. The second you cut into this thing, if I can cut it, it's just nasty. You're not going to eat that thing. And that's exactly the point. What we have is this beautiful outside in this nasty center core. This leadership gap has begun to be shown off in all kinds of evangelical circles. It's been seen in, throughout history, but in recent years with the celebrity status of so many pastors, we watch people like Josh Harris walk away from the faith. We watch people like Rob Bell start to become heretics. We begin to see Ravi Zacharias fail. We begin to watch Bill Hybels end up in indiscretion, Pete Wilson in indiscretion, James McDonald in abuse. All these great teachers that wind up being shown in the highlight reels of failure. And at the same time, some of our other great teachers have left. We have Billy Graham who died, and we have Chuck Smith who died. We have R.C. Sproul who died, Dallas Willard, J.I. Packer. Man, some of the great scholars and the great saints of our time period who have led us and taught us have walked off into eternity. There's a leadership gap. And to be quite honest, this intensity leads us to ask a question, what are we going to do about this leadership gap? What are we going to do about these situations? Because as we begin to examine leadership, as we begin to examine this idea, we know from the book of 1 Timothy, when we were studying it only a few months ago, that as the leaders go, so goes the church. Leadership directs church, it guides it, and it leads saints to somewhere. And oftentimes we realize that, hey, leadership is falling apart. It's leading us to horrible places. It looks like a good apple, but inside it's pretty rotten. And here's the situation. Many people have decided that we don't need leadership. They say, I only need the Bible. And so they've started small Bible studies, and they just have studied the Word together. But it's not a church. At the same time, some of them are like, I just need the Spirit of God, and they're staying home alone with the Word and, and just focusing on the Bible. They don't need a community. They don't want the leadership. They don't want the teachers. They can pick their teachers what they want. Or finally, you know, they don't need to commit to any particular local church. They're part of the kingdom of churches. And so they wind up being a leader to themselves. A lot of people in evangelical culture, in the American culture, in Southern California, yes, even in Corona, have chosen a self-leadership model, have chosen that they're going to make it their own way. Here's the problem with that idea. Jesus is the one who invented leadership in the church. He is the one who put it in place. And I'm telling you, if God on earth knew I needed a leader, that you needed a leader, we all needed leadership. 
then I think we should be sitting down and thinking. I mean, he is the one who turned to the crowd and he went up to the mountain and called to him those who he desired, right? And he came to him and he appointed 12 whom he called apostles. So they might be with them that he might send them out to preach, have authority, and cast out demons. This is the beginning of a leadership structure. Those apostles later will add deacons. As they go, they'll add elders as those elders go on. And the church will build a leadership structure because Jesus began the leadership. There's always been a sense that we need leadership, we need guidance. The problem is that bad leadership rots the church. Bad leadership leads the church in a bad direction. It's no wonder Jesus warned us then, hey guys, look out and be aware of your leadership. There's going to be bad leadership. There's going to be bad leaders. In fact, he put it this way, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So these people are going to look like Christians. They're going to act like godly, dedicated people, but they're actually out to eat you alive and destroy you. This comes from the Old Testament, where the leadership was out to, to take money and make themselves rich and, and gain women and all this stuff. And this is what happens for, for sexuality and all these kinds of things with false teachers. They use it for their own means and ends. He says, well, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. We could translate that as evil fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire that you'll recognize them by the fruits. You're like, Jesus is not helping us. But you got to understand, when he talks about thorns and thistles and finding fruit, this goes back to a picture of Israel and it's being a vineyard. God in Isaiah says, I built myself a vineyard. I went to find fruit, but I only found thorns and thistles. Jesus is mentioning this. And he's saying, guys, don't become like Israel did, where I I put you there and you only bear corruption and sexual immorality and and lying and and oppression on all this junk that's there. And he says, that's bad fruit. That's the bad fruit. Uh, This has nothing actually to do with the the fruit of the Spirit, which is composed and different, because the fruit of the Spirit is going to involve self-control. These are going to come out in actions. Yes, you will have love and peace and joy and all those pieces there, but it's going to be opposed to all this bad fruit of action and sin in our lives. And it's the false teaching that actually leads to that. And so it's, it's clear, we must be aware of our leaders and we must be aware of their core. What's down in the core? Not what's on the outside, not what their skills are all about. That's not what leads to the falsehoods and the garbage. It's the teaching. It's the direction that they lead them. Not that they're amazing teachers. They apparently were. Not that they were really skilled at loving people and caring for that. Apparently they were. They were poor, evil teachers leading in a false direction. We've got to be aware of our leaders and their core. See, Again, bad leadership is going to rot the church, just like one bad apple rots all the other apples. That's actually the truth. If this was placed in a bushel of apples, the gases that are being exposed from this apple wind up actually rotting the other apples faster. It only takes one bad apple like that naughty little kid in the video, right? I mean, come on, folks. We've got to look at the core of our leadership because it only takes one to begin to dissolve the whole church. Bad leadership rots the church. Good leadership preserves the church, so let's get the core of leadership right. Right? I mean, we want good leadership. We want it to preserve the church, like mash up that apple, 
put it into some nice apple jam or something, and whammo, you've got a preserved uh, apple, you've got a preserved church. Not saying we're going to mash up the church. But the point simply is that you and I, we've got to know what a leader is supposed to be. We've got to know what the core of the leadership is. And that means, yes, there are skills and something the leadership is supposed to do. And then there's a core to that leadership. I want to cover first what the leaders are supposed to do. Then next week, we'll dive into the core of what a leader is supposed to be. And so as we get there, you're going to find that Paul, in his conversations with his leaders at Ephesus, a church that he planted, it was on the coast of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And there on that coastal city where he spent two years, he put in charge a set of leaders. They were called elders. And we know that these elders are making mistakes and teaching false teachings. And so in the book of 1 Timothy, he sent Timothy out to replace those elders which is exactly what we're supposed to do, right? We're not supposed to uh, simply give up on leadership altogether. We're supposed to get rid of bad leaders. We're supposed to engage and remove them. That's a harder core issue, and, but that's what Timothy was there to do. And that's uncomfortable, but in order to do that, we need to know what the leader should be. And so he begins to share with us what that leader looks like, and it starts here in Acts chapter 20. What should the leaders of Ephesus be doing? Well, this is what Paul's going to get into as you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Starts off here in verse 17. And in verse 17, it is very simply put, now, Paul, I got to get to the right chapter here. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them these words. I love this. He says, okay, he sailed up. He's not going to Ephesus himself. He doesn't want to get caught in caring, ministering to all the people. So he goes to Miletus, which is south. He calls all the elders of this church to come to him. And this is important because these leaders are called, first and foremost, elders. And you're like, what is an elder? Are these all old men? No, they were men, but they were representative, spiritually older men representing the community of the church. This kind of leadership still happens in places in Africa and tribal units. Uh, it's very different than our common leadership structure of elections and stuff like this. These were considered the wise men of the village, the wise men of the community, and they would gather in larger groups to make decisions for the nation, especially in Israel. In our case, we have this concept of elders in the church as a representative of the body or the community that's here at Olive Branch. So other churches will have their elders and their leadership. And so what we see is that these elders are given and appointed to the church to govern the church. And that's their first job. In fact, elders are called out to represent and lead the church to govern it. Now, it begins this way. We see in 1 Timothy as Paul is telling Timothy, hey, replant some new elders. Let's get this fixed. He tells them this, that when an elder rules well, he should be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is the idea that you should pay elders. We'll get into this when we get to this in 1 Timothy later. The point is here is this word rule. I mean, the elders are supposed to rule the church. Now that sounds really uncomfortable for us as Americans. We don't like anybody ruling us, right? This word is the same word as lead. It means to direct. It means to, to guide or lead. And so what we see is in the congregation, the elders are there to guide and lead, to point the direction, to give us movement. And here at Olive Branch, what we do is our elders sit and observe the mission and vision, ensure that what we've called ourselves to be and do as Olive Branch is done, that we will love, live, and share Christ to make Him known 
wherever we go. That is our core. What we want to do as elders is ensure that that mission isn't being strayed from, that we're not getting involved in all kinds of other things, but we want to stay on point, discipling people to love Jesus and know Him and, and worship Him and to live out His character and His things in the world and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this area. Because what's our mission? Man, our mission is to reach the Timiskau Valley and Corona for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we're here. There's 200 plus thousand people that surround us that aren't donning the door of a church on a Sunday, that we need to reach out, that you have an opportunity at home and your neighbors to connect them, even using these kind of messages online, all over. And that's our core, and that's our goal, and that's what the elders are holding us to. So we, we look at our reports, we examine things, we get that stuff. And so we need to be careful with our leaders. Because here's the thing, while they're ruling, we have a tendency to believe the leaders should be under us as congregation as the congregation. The congregation here is the leaders are here because we vote them in. We, elect, we don't elect our elders. Uh, we get information from the membership. We get information from the congregation. But to be quite honest, elders are appointed throughout the scriptures, not elected. And so we actually have an appointing process we use. And this means that our elders are not accountable to the congregation in the way that we would understand it like an elected representative is. And that may make you feel uncomfortable, but notice that they're still accountable. In fact, Paul begins his entire conversation with the elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Right there in verse 18, he has made you overseers. That is critical. Uh, verse 20, I'm sorry. It, it, because what we are is we are under the Holy Spirit. We are under Jesus. We are overseers of God's church, which he obtained with his own blood. We are accountable as elders and leaders to Jesus, not the people in the church. Now, right there, that frightens us. Right there, that should cause you a little bit of heartache because in our culture, we rule our leaders. Our leaders don't rule us. So what do we do? Because we don't want to become naive and just run after leaders because we want them to be our mommy and daddy. And, oh, my gosh, we need these leaders because they've always been leaders. Blah, blah, blah. And I just leave whatever they say. No, we don't want to go there. But at the same time, we don't want to turn it into where we reject all leadership at all. No, there's a balance here. And remember, what we're doing is we're following Christ. And so there are three things that check the, the leadership, check the power of rule in elders. And, and I want to point these out. They come from the text. Look down at verse 32 with me, and we'll see that the Word of God checks the elders. That's the first thing, is the Word of God, this Bible, the, this, and, this call for our lives checks the elders of a church. He continued, verse 32, as, as I pointed out. He says this, And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. And his point is this, look, I'm going to commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's his first move. He says, I want you to be under his word. Now, check it out. He goes on. He says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And I worked, you know, when I was with you, I didn't take your money. I worked and all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. So he instructs them, not by his own authority, not by, hey, you need to listen to me. I'm Paul. I planted this church, and you guys are the elders I appointed. You're under me, buddies. He didn't say, oh, you better go listen to those congregants, and they're going to tell you what to do. No, he says, no, remember the words of the Lord 
Jesus, how he himself said, it's be more blessed to give than to receive. That's, that's the beauty of what we have here. The Word of God is what controls the elders. If we go against the Word of God, then the congregation has strength because they know the Word of God. This is, this is my point to you. Become a student of the Word of God. Become a student of doctrine. Become a student who knows the truths of Scripture so that if you see something going wrong in the church, false teaching, a bad direction, you're able to step in and call the elders to the Word of God. Right? That's what we all stand under. Now, I'm not saying your own pet theory of theology and stuff. It needs to be truly, truly under the Word of God. And so, this is a critical thing. That holds the power of the elders in check. The second thing that holds the power of the elders in check is the plurality of elders. The plurality checks the elders. There's a group of elders that are working together, not an individual. See, it is a scary thing in my mind to consolidate all power under one individual. That's not the case. As a senior pastor, I am not going to have all power. I'm accountable to our elders, right? And our elders are accountable to the Word of God. While I am an elder, the point is we're accountable to the Word of God, and there's a plurality that surrounds us so all that advice and all that information and all those decisions are done with wisdom as the scripture says where there is no guidance the people falls but in an abundance of counselors there is safety and this is the idea we want to make an abundance of counselors who are bent on the word of God so that when we're making decisions about vision and mission and policy and guidance of the church we're doing it with a plurality. It checks that we are going to be in the Word, that we are going to follow the direction. Um, and that means there's going, to be, there's going to be conversations and heated exchanges amongst the elders. We would expect that we're going to work through these things with the Scriptures and with the wisdom given to come to conclusions. Um, and I believe, though, there has been tensions in our elders' teams, and we've had elders come and go. Every elder we've ever had in our church, every single one, and I can vouch for the ones I've been under, and it's been quite a few, all of them came with this intention that they would work together to bring the Word of God into the direction of the church, that we would be a people focused on making disciples. And so I love the fact that there's a plurality. I like being held accountable. I like that we hold each other accountable. I like that our staff is held accountable. I like that our church is held accountable. And I love that it's all focused on the Word of God. Amen? All right. So now, number three, then what else? The third one is the example of Christ checks the elders. Christ's example and how He lived checks the rule of the elders. We as elders and the elders of a church and leadership of a church all the way down should not rule over people with an iron fist. Jesus put it this way. When the apostles were arguing over who was going to be the better leader and all this stuff, He said to them, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, the nations, you know the business leaders, you know the, the political leaders lorded over them. And they control people and they try to use their power and muster and use politics. And their greatest ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So the race to the bottom is the race to eldership, to leadership. You're to be a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There it is. Jesus was unfair to himself to give us life. Elder's job is to serve. 
It's to set up a system so that you and I can become mature, so that we can grow as a congregation. Our job is to equip you unto maturing. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. These staff positions, these leadership positions are here to equip you so you can do the work of ministry. You can make the church grow, that you can walk away from this life as a mature Christian. That's our aim. That's the goal. And we're here as elders to serve you and to to put it together and bring you to a place where you are pastored and led well. In fact, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the bottom line is that if this is how we were, if we're living like Christ and we are developing leaders in the church, then everyone is going to be involved in what the church does. The elders don't do the work of the ministry. They equip you and empower you to be Olive Branch. The elders aren't Olive Branch. The staff is an Olive Branch. We're all Olive Branch. We're all, and Olive Branch is part of that whole church. We are the church as we engage and involve ourselves in the ministries. And so our job is to equip you, to enable you to do that, and that's checked because we're to be servants, not rulers. That makes sense? All right. And here's what I love about that. If an elder team is following these three things, if we're under the word and we're using plurality and we're making sure that we're following Christ's example and developing leaders and giving away responsibilities and all that stuff as Jesus did to us, then hey, I feel like we could follow a leader like that. Follow a leader who loves me, who's going to give himself up as a ransom for me. We're going to follow a leader like that. As Paul put it this way, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what an elder should say. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow my example as I run after him. I'm under his word, his example, his direction. Come, follow me. And I think that helps. We're not going to believe everything a leader says, but we're going to believe everything the word of God says. We're going to follow under leaders, not because we, we have to and it's a grudge, no, because they come under us to lift us up with the word of God to serve us. That's what an elder is. That's what an elder should do. And see, it's important because we know that bad leadership rots the church, but good leadership preserves the church. It matures the church. It encourages you to become stronger. And so Paul reminds us with, a, with, a, with this same calling and a warning to watch out, leaders, watch out for the false teaching. Look for the bad leadership. And he actually warns leadership to do this as well. In fact, he says it this way as we continue on in verse 28 of chapter 20. He says, Hey guys, I've gathered you together. Here's what I did. I didn't shrink away from my my responsibilities, all that stuff. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He goes on. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, there's Jesus' terminology, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, elders, will arise men speaking twisted things, evil things, same word as bad fruit, and to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Okay, first and foremost, our leadership then has a job not just to lead us to maturity, not just to rule and govern the church. Our leadership has another job, and that is that leaders are to protect the church. Our job is to protect you guys from false teaching and to enable you to actually live out spiritual maturity without getting sidetracked. 
Do you see how this works? An overseer, as that word says, if you look right down there in verse 28, it says, I've made you overseers. Uh, it can also be translated bishop, which is a weird word, right? Because that's bishops in later in the church are guys over elders and on down. Some people use this as like, oh, that's a senior pastor. Look, for us, it's, it's not about a position. It's about a role. So an overseer is a role. An overseer is a job description. You look over, oversee the congregation. And what you're looking over for is to protect the church from false teaching, to protect the church from these things. In fact, this is part of the example of Christ. Christ, it says, is our overseer. You are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, Peter says when talking to, El to the elders and to the church. He says, listen, Jesus is your ultimate overseer. Jesus is your senior pastor. He's the ultimate pastor. All elders, uh, all shepherds, all pastors are under Christ, right? We're his under shepherds. We are accountable to him. Again, just making that point. But even in this, overseers then live out like Christ oversees the church to help guide your soul from danger. I understand you cannot spend the time in your vocation and everything to run around learning all the false teachings out there. Trying to keep yourself focused on this stuff. You're running into the false teachings, but it's my job, it's the elder's job, and through the staff, through our deacons of our church, to give you the right teaching and to guide you away from danger. We do this three different ways. Number one, we guide you away from false teachers and false doctrine. That's the critical piece that we need to lead you away from false teachers and false doctrine. This is critical because these are the actual root of the rot that happens in the church. What rots the church is the false teachings, the false doctrines in the church. The idea that sin isn't really sin. You know, certain sins, those are identities. Oh no, the, the certain ways of approaching human beings, that's okay. But, you know, not the, you, let, me, let me just put it this way. We need to be careful in the church, Paul says, to watch over ourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention, leadership, to yourselves. Pay attention, leadership, to one another. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, all this false teaching is going to show up. Our job is to monitor for wolves, to watch for false teaching and false teachers. And that's hard because there's some of you guys that were trained under certain doctrines. And when you don't hear those pet doctrines of end times or, or maybe even it's a creation stuff or, or maybe it's some uh, kind of, uh, maybe it's Arminian or reform doctrine or whatever, you, you can get like, no, that is the only true way. It's like uh, our job is to ensure that we don't go beyond what's called the pale of orthodoxy. Now, some of you guys are like, okay, this is a deep moment for some of you. When it comes to doctrine, there are some things that are salvific, and we want to believe those to be saved. Everything that's essential to belief after that, so that that gospel presentation doesn't vanish, that's what we defend. Anything that goes out of that, like Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, that's outside the bounds. That Jesus isn't going to return, that's outside the bounds. Oh, that he already returned, that's outside of the bounds. What we want to clarify is that, yes, God created the earth because that upholds the gospel, that God is Lord of all. Yes, that upholds the gospel. We want to ensure all those essentials. Now, the debates about what in time scheme when Jesus is going to come back and what system do you hold to and how do we understand election and what way does God know things in the future and the past and all this stuff and how many days or how long is and how old is the earth, that is all up for open debate. It's within because it won't erode the gospel. Our job, my job, elders leadership's job 
is to ensure that we're not distracted by the wrong things, that we're not taken in the wrong directions, and that we would stop false teaching when it shows up. There have been times in our church where there was a, a man from Africa who was invited to come and preach, and he began to preach from uh, the creation, but he was preaching something that was actually a health, wealth gospel and from Genesis. And I had heard about it at school. We were warned to watch for this. It was coming through all kinds of churches. And so I told the senior pastor, he ran up, and he actually stopped the man, and he preached the next service and kept the man from preaching and then re-explained why it was a false teaching to the congregation. That's the kind of work that teachers are to do. That's the kind of work that we're supposed to have because we care about you having the right understanding. So sometimes that means we need to come up and rebuke those who contradict it. So this is the thing. we got to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so they may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. This was instructed to Titus as he's setting up elders. Leaders may have to come up and, and poke you, and you may not like it because I tell you CRT isn't a Christian thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, no. It talks about oppression, but it is from a Marxist position, which is anti-Christian. We hold that everyone's made in the image of God. We want to deal with the actual issues. We're not denying that there's racism. We believe racism is sinful. But we want to get engaged with the fact that Christian nationalism is not a good thing. We, we don't want to wed our theology so deeply to an American concept that we don't believe the gospel can thrive in any other nation. That we don't believe that Cambodian Christians can, can believe things and still hold to and obey their leadership. Now, we want to hold the gospel as the gospel, not politics as the gospel, right? We don't, want to, we don't want to agree that abortion is okay. No, we want to believe that abortion destroys those made in the image of God, the innocents. We don't believe in euthanasia because that's not a dignified death. It actually begins to kill off people who have no ability to tell themselves what's going on. We don't stand with the LGBTQ identities because we believe your identity is in the image of God. And we believe that those subsets belongs in a whole context of the human sinful condition, along with all the other struggles humanity goes through. We don't believe in surrogacy. We don't think oh, no-fault divorce is okay. We don't believe in false religions, and it's our job to instruct you and guide you to the truth. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of opinions in there that, you, that I may have just made you uncomfortable with, but the goal and the job for me and the elders and the leadership of this church is to know what's going on and to instruct you rightly so that you can grow deeply in Christ to maturity. So if you are instructed and maybe even pushed against, don't, by, by an elder or a leader, don't, don't throw the like, well, I, was, I know this and I listen to this guy. I really advise you to just consider, listen, and learn. Because our job is here not to hurt you. We're not here to harm you. We're here to help you. And that means we got to say hard things sometimes and direct you back to scriptures that may be uncomfortable compared to our cultural reality. The second thing that we need to do in order to help guide your soul from danger is by monitoring progress. And we do this through monitoring our, our church through love, live, and share. We want to see you guys love Christ, live Christ, and share Christ. And so, yes, we get information on how many people have been at church and how are they progressing through small groups and what's going on as they're living for Christ at our James projects and different things and how many people are serving in the church and, hey, how many guests have we seen? How many people are coming to Christ? We care about these things because it indicates where we all are at spiritually growing in Christ. And our elders examine that. We get records of that. We, we try to contact and connect with people, not to control, but to help guide, to give instruction. We want to see you mature in Christ. We want to see you successful in your spiritual journey. That is the calling of leadership. 
Oh, finally, we want to uphold church discipline. There are these cases where, to be quite honest, we have to call people in and we have to point out their sin. They went through the Matthew 18 process. One person went up to them and said, hey, you sinned against me in this way. And they go, nah, two people, nah. And then there's a time where it says you need to bring them to the church. Well, that's when the elders step in. They're a bit of an adjudication model because their job is to call that sinful, broken person to repentance so that they can grow spiritually, so they can build a relationship. That's the calling. And to be quite honest, that's one of the ways churches don't use their elders effectively is that when there is a known sin that's been addressed rightly through Matthew 18, it's not brought to elders for adjudication so that that brother can grow, that sister can grow in Christ and not remain in sin. It is a critical thing in our membership to us because, again, one bad apple can rot the whole group. Or a little leaven in the Bible, it says, leavens the whole lump. Right? The, the point is that sin can begin to fester and grow in the church when it's not looked at by the elders. Our job is to instruct and guide your soul from danger. And that's not easy. Trust me, you don't, it's not fun to do these things. And some people will not listen. And so you have to let them go. I've had to let students in my youth ministry go because they were so intent on pushing back on the basic biblical doctrines because they had a Bible degree now and they thought they were so smart about it. And all of a sudden I'm like, there's debate. What is going on? And they wouldn't listen to the leadership. They didn't want to listen to the leadership. And so they went their own way. And that's the, that's the case where it just hurts your heart. You don't want anybody to start going off in a direction that ultimately is going to erode their faith. We want everyone to come to Christ and grow deep in Christ and be established in Him. And that is the job of elders, to help set up guidance and leadership so that you can grow spiritually to maturity. And there's one more thing that our leaders do. And again, that is that leaders are pastors. They act as the pastors to direct and feed the church. And this is, this is hard because, I'll just be honest, uh, this word pastor comes from this text in Acts. Acts says this word, pay careful attention to yourselves. We've been looking at this. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And this word to care is the word to pastor or to shepherd the church. And so the leadership's job is to shepherd. Now the word pastor as a role, as, a role, as an official position is used all over the map. I mean, you can go online and go to the church of the spiritual wonky-punky and, and get a license and, oh, I'm a pastor. Okay. At Olive Branch, pastors, there are some who are pastors as deacons. There are some who are pastors as elders. There are some who are paid pastors like me. I'm the only paid pastor is an elder. But we have lay elders who can marry and bury who are, who are pastors in that sense. We have deacons like Brent and Justin who are pastors, and they care for the flock but the whole point here is I want to talk about the function. I want to talk about the role, not the title. And so the role of a pastor, all leadership, is to care, to feed the flock, to guide it with the Word of God, and to ensure that they are being led well. And so again, I'm focusing on the role here. Pastors, first, they feed the church with the Word of God. And it's as Paul said in Ephesians, he said, He gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, shepherds, and teachers. This is one thing. They're bound together. Shepherd teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry so that you know what this word calls you to do. So you're equipped to do it and you can lead the core of leadership. You can get out there, not the skills, but the core of the leadership. 
the core of what we're calling everyone to be, and we'll get into that next week. But the point for the leadership, the point for the pastors is to use the Word of God and to feed you with it, to teach you with it, to help you understand the truth. Now, we do this through preaching. We do this through classes, membership classes, love, live, share, keystones. We do this through all these things, and we focus on the Word of God because we want you to see that what we're teaching you isn't man's ideas. It's not some business concept. It's God's ideas. And we want to ensure that you are fed with the Word of God. Now, the second thing that a, mem- that a pastor, elder, leader is going to do is they're going to make sure they track down the straying members, though. Right? We're supposed to shepherd the flock and shepherds around their sheep. And we know that Jesus said as the good shepherd, he went after the one or the 99. Well, guess what? In a church setting like ours, that means we focus on our members. Our elders are focusing on the members. Our leadership's going to focus on the members because we know you. We know your name. We see your photo. We have information, connection with you, and you should be being contacted and on board. You are saying, I'm, I'm under these leaders. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Which says something, if you hear at Olive Branch, you're like, I don't feel like I'm getting uh, pastored well. The first step I want to ask you is, hey, are you part of the membership? We aim at our members. We care about our members. If you're a congregant, you're showing up, checking things out, or maybe just coming and getting the, getting, uh, the stuff, but you haven't stepped into the membership so that you're known, you're saying, I'm here. Man, we, we can't run after you. And we watch. Trust us, we watch. We actually look and we can monitor where people are at because we care, not because we're big brother and no, 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 no. We're not stalking. The point is we want you to grow mature. And if you're going to go to a different church, we want to know so that we can say goodbye and point you out to that church where you can love, live, and share Christ. It's wherever you go. And that may not be at Olive Branch all the time. Some of you moved out of state and you're still watching. We praise God that you're with us. Some of you have moved to different churches. Some of your friends have gone. Hopefully, you, they went on purpose, because our goal is that you would be mature. But as elders, pastors, and staff and leadership, our core jobs are to ensure that you grow maturely, to govern the church so you can become mature, to monitor and protect you against false teaching as overseers, and last, a pastor to give you the Word of God, to feed you with it, and make sure that you're staying connected with the community. If we're doing that, I believe that as we follow Christ in doing that, it becomes a galvanizing, exciting community, a true community where we love one another, we know one another, and because of our love, they see Jesus Christ. I love this idea because, listen, our, our leaders are here to do this, to care for you. As it says in Hebrews, it asks you to obey your leaders. Why? And submit to them because they're keeping watch over your souls. That's the point. We're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. No, we're not accountable to the congregation. We're accountable to Jesus, which is a lot scarier, to just be quite honest. For every person in the church, for every member of our church who has said, I'm with the church, I'm under our leadership, and we have to give an account for them. And we want to know that you're growing in Christ. We want to know that you're growing deep. We want to know that you can walk and trust your leadership because here's the thing, it can be nice and shiny, but the core can be a mess. And again, we want to ensure that the core is right. This is the job of leaders, to ensure that you're growing in maturity, that you know the Word of God. But remember, it goes further than that. Bad leaders rot the church, but good leaders preserve the church. So let's get the leadership core right. Let's get this leadership core correct, because that is the critical piece. Let's pray for our leaders now. 
Let's begin to ask God to help us. And in fact, I want to encourage you, if you're not a member of the church yet, to consider joining our membership. You'll learn more about our leadership and learn more about what, what, what we believe and how we're aiming at true doctrine. And our goal is that you would be able to grow to full maturity, to love, live, and share Christ wherever you go. And so let, let me just pray for you, and let's pray for our leadership now as we end at this time. Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to think about our leadership. And God, with so much corruption, so much garbage going on out there, and so much confusion, we just ask that our leaders would have the right core. God, that we, our leaders would have the right roles. That they're not about themselves and their celebrity, but they're about making sure our people and your people are mature. Thank you for spilling your blood on behalf of all of us, that we as a church could be yours. And God, may our leaders ever remember we're accountable to you. And God, we want to lead them unto you and guide them so they are mature. Help us again to get there. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.